Good morning, church. Today we will be reading from Acts 15, verses 1 to 21. Before we read, let us pray. Father in heaven, thank you for giving us your holy living word, the Bible. We pray for Pastor Joseph that he will preach your word faithfully and we pray that we will apply your teaching to our lives so that we can glorify your name. Amen. Some men came down from Judea to Antioch and were teaching to the brothers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. This brought Paul and Barnabas into sharp dispute and debate with them. So Paul and Barnabas were appointed, along with some other believers, to go up to Jerusalem to see the apostles and elders about this question. The church sent them on their way, and as they travelled through Phoenicia and Samaria, they told how the Gentiles had been converted. This news made all the brothers very glad. When they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and elders to whom they reported everything God had done through them. Then some of the believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees stood up and said, The Gentiles must be circumcised and required to obey the law of Moses. The apostles and elders met to consider this question. After much discussion, Peter got up and addressed them. Brothers, you know that some time ago God made a choice among you that the Gentiles might hear from my lips the message of the gospel and believe. God, who knows the heart, showed that he accepted them by giving the Holy Spirit to them, just as he did to us. He made no distinction between us and them, for he purified their hearts by faith. Now then, why do we try to test God by putting on the necks of the disciples a yoke that neither we nor our fathers have been able to bear? No, we believe it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus that we are saved just as they are. The whole assembly became silent as they listened to Barnabas and Paul telling about the miraculous signs and wonders God had done among the Gentiles through them. When they finished, James spoke up. Brothers, listen to me. Simon has described to us how God at first showed his concern by taking from the Gentiles a people from, for himself. The words of the prophets are in agreement with this, as it is written, After this I will return and rebuild David's fallen tent. Its ruins I will rebuild and I will restore it, that the remnant of men may seek the Lord. And all the Gentiles who bear my name, says the Lord, who does these things that have been known for ages. It is my judgment, therefore, that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. Instead, we should write to them, telling them to abstain from food polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, from the meat of strangled animals, and from blood. For Moses has been preached in every city from the earliest times and is read in the synagogues on every Sabbath. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, church. The Lord be with you. Now, imagine that you have to go to the emergency department of the hospital. 
and you arrive, and the triage nurse will attend to you. And she assesses your condition, and depending on how serious your situation is, you get to see the doctor immediately, or if it's not so serious, it will see you in a couple of minutes, or if it's not really serious, you may have to wait for hours. Now, in a similar way, there are theological issues that carry different degrees of seriousness. Now, some issues are not threatening to your faith, meaning that if you disagree on the issue, you are still a Christian. For example, it does not matter to your faith or to your salvation if you have been baptized either through immersion or by water pouring. This is because the mode of baptism is not fundamental to the Christian faith. Christians can disagree on it and still be considered Christians. Or to put it another way, the mode of baptism does not change the gospel. Now, however, there are other theological issues that change the gospel, and they threaten your faith. These issues involve the basic Christian teachings, such that a denial of these teachings would represent the rejection of the Christian gospel. And those who reject these teachings are considered heretics. So, for example, the doctrine of the Trinity, it is fundamental to the Christian gospel. If you deny the Trinity, you cannot be considered a believer. You will be considered a heretic. Another example is the deity of Jesus Christ. Christians believe that Jesus is fully man and fully God. But if you disagree that Jesus is God, then you cannot be a Christian. Now, a third example is the justification, or the doctrine of the justification by faith. Now, this is the doctrine on how we are saved. The gospel tells us that we are saved by God's grace through faith in Christ Jesus alone. Neither our good works nor our obedience to the law contribute to our salvation. Salvation is all God's work. But if someone thinks that they can contribute to their salvation through good works, then they are trying to change the gospel. In fact, if they think that salvation is their work as well, they are promoting a different gospel, a different gospel that will not save them, a different gospel that denies the doctrine of justification by faith alone in Christ Jesus. Now, it was this doctrine of justification by faith alone that in one sense defined Luther's break away from the Roman Catholic Church during the Reformation in the 16th century. You see, the Roman Catholic Church has taught that faith in Christ alone is not sufficient to get you saved. You need works as well. And these works include paying penance, praying to Mary, and praying to the saints, and doing good deeds. 
So salvation according to Rome is Jesus plus works. Faith in Jesus plus doing good works. So Rome has been practicing a different gospel for a long time. But Rome is not the only church that practices a different gospel. Some Protestant Protestant churches also teach that you must add speaking in tongues to your faith. Other churches say you must add water baptism by immersion. Now, I once belonged to a denomination that extols the beauty of the King James Version of the Bible. But some elders took it further and add that King James Version of the Bible must be used because it is a requirement for salvation. And so that is a different gospel altogether. And different gospel is not uncommon. When you add something to faith in Jesus, you change the true gospel to a different gospel. But Rome is not the first church to embrace a different gospel. That blemish belongs to the Galatian church in the New Testament. In his letter to the Galatians, Paul begins with these words. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. You see, the Galatians have been influenced to believe that in addition to faith in Jesus, circumcision is necessary for salvation. So to the Galatians, salvation is Jesus plus circumcision. And Paul is angry. He's angry that the Galatians have so quickly turned away to this different gospel. And he asks them, You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Who has bewitched you? Now, of course, Paul knows who has bewitched the Galatians. The influencers are a group of Jewish Christians who were previously Pharisees. And they are called Judaizers. And Paul has his first encounter with the Judaizers when he and Barnabas were on furlough, on home leave in Syrian Antioch after their first missionary journey. And this encounter is recorded for us at the beginning of Acts chapter 15. So please turn with me to Acts chapter 15 as we continue our study of the book of Acts. And verse 1 reads, Certain people came down from Judea to Antioch and were teaching the believers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. Now the certain people are members of the Judaizer group from Jerusalem. They have gone to Antioch to teach that believing in Jesus is not enough. To be saved, one must be circumcised. Why circumcision? Well, because circumcision is the Old Testament sign of God's people. But this sign is often avoided by the Gentiles who, when they embrace Judaism. 
As a result, the Gentile converts can never enter the inner court of the temple to participate in the worship of God. So instead, these Gentile converts are only allowed to the outer court. And so in a sense, the Gentile converts are treated like a second-class people of God. So perhaps the Judaizers want to be inclusive and they insist on circumcision so that the Gentile Christians would not be treated like second-class Christians. But good intention can undermine the gospel. And circumcision undermines the gospel in this way. Circumcision is not only an old covenant sign of God's people, but it also symbolizes the commitment to keep the law of Moses in order to be God's people. In other words, if the Gentile Christians are circumcised, they are saying that they want to keep the law of Moses as the basis of their salvation. But according to Paul's gospel, no one is saved by keeping the law. And so the way of salvation brings Paul and Barnabas into sharp, dis uh, into sharp dispute with the Judaizers in Antioch. The Judaizers insist on adding circumcision, but Paul and Barnabas maintain that faith in Jesus is sufficient. And you can imagine the confusion among the Christians in Antioch. So how can this debate be resolved? Well, since the Judaizer had come from Jerusalem, the solution is for Paul and Barnabas to go to Jerusalem to get clarity from the apostolic leaders. And this they proceed to do. When Paul and Barnabas arrived in Jerusalem, things did not, do not look good for them. Because the Judaizers doubled down their demands on the Gentiles. Um, in verse 5, uh, they, they, want, they not only want the Gentiles to be circumcised, but they also want the Gentiles to keep the law of Moses. So the truth of the gospel is now at stake. An apostolic council is convened to consider the demands raised by the Judaizers. And by the way, this is how theological disputes were resolved or are resolved throughout history by convening church councils where all the church leaders come together to debate over the issue. And of course, today we call them uh, conventions. So after much discussion, and I'm sure after much prayer as well, the verdict of the Jerusalem council is delivered. The Apostle, Paul, uh, the Apostle Peter is the first to, to speak. And Peter begins by recalling his ministry to Cornelius and his household. And Peter makes three points to refute the Judaizers' demands. First, in verse 7, Peter says that God is the initiator of the salvation of the Gentiles. And God chose Peter to go to Cornelius to proclaim the gospel to him and his household and his friends so that they might believe. The second point that Peter made is 
in verse 9. Peter says that God does not discriminate between Jews and Gentiles when it comes to the way of salvation. God has given the Holy Spirit to the Gentiles just as he has given the Holy Spirit to the Jews. And moreover, God purifies their hearts in the same way as he does the Jews, by faith alone. In other words, God justifies sinners, whether Jews or Gentiles, by faith alone. That is the second point that Peter is making. And the third point that Peter makes is in verse 10. Peter calls out the Judaizers for being inconsistent. He tells them that since the Jews have not been able to uh, obtain salvation by keeping the law, why are they asking the Gentiles to obtain salvation by obedience to the law? So it makes no sense. It's inconsistent and it is wrong. Peter tells the Judaizers. And so with these three points in mind, Peter concludes with, uh, with verse 11. He says, We believe that it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus that we are saved, just as they are. In other words, justification by faith. It is through faith we are saved. So Peter is emphasizing that Jews are saved in the same way as Gentiles are. Not through the addition of circumcision, but by the grace of God through faith in Jesus Christ. Now there may have been other speakers at the council, but Luke didn't tell us about it. And the last speaker at the council is James. But before he stands up to speak, Paul and Barnabas quickly take the opportunity to verify what Peter has said, that God had done miraculous signs through them in their first missionary trip, and many Gentiles believed and were saved. And the whole assembly listened to Paul and Barnabas and are persuaded that, pers that salvation is through faith alone. And then James takes his turn to speak. James is not the brother of John who was killed back in uh, chapter 12 by King Herod. This um, James is the half-brother of Jesus who had come to faith when he saw the re resurrected Christ. And, so, uh, and James is the leader of the church in Jerusalem. And he is also the chair of the council. And as the last speaker, he now summarizes the debate and he gives the final verdict. James comes down on the side of Peter, Paul, and Barnabas. Of course, much to the disappointment of the Judaizers. And in verse 14, James agrees that Peter's, missionary, uh, Peter's ministry to Cornelius indeed shows that Gentile believers are now chosen to belong to the people of God. The inclusion of Gentiles into God's people was not Peter's idea. It was God's idea from the very beginning, since it was already prophesied in the Old Testament. So James quotes from the Old Testament book of um, Amos, 
which is recorded for us in the text of verses 16 to 18. And James says, after this, uh, uh, quoting um, the passage in Amos, um, after this, I, referring to God, after this, I will return and rebuild David's fallen tent. Its ruins I will rebuild and I will restore it, that the rest of mankind may seek the Lord. Even all the Gentiles who bear my name, says the Lord, who does these things, things known from long ago. So James is saying that the Old Testament already anticipates that God's people will one day consist of two groups of people, two groups of people with a common center. And the common center is the rebuilt fallen tent of David which refers, of course, to the kingdom of the resurrected Christ, that is, the New Testament church. And the inner group of the New Testament church are the Jewish Christians, for they have been given the gospel first. And then the outer group is added on, when Gentiles are given the gospel and the Gentile Christians will share the same blessings of the Messiah without having to become Jewish. Now, James then concludes the council meeting with these advisory words in verses 19 and 20. It is my judgment, James says, that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. Instead, we should write to them telling them to abstain from food polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, from the meat of strangled animals, and from blood. So to the Judaizers, James says, do not trouble the Gentiles by insisting that they become Jews. The Gentile Christians don't have to be circumcised, and they don't have to observe the Jewish ceremonial or food laws. Now, to the Gentile Christians in Antioch, the Jerusalem Council will write to them to abstain from four things. Food offered to idols, sexual immorality, meat of strangled animals, and blood. And we will consider these prohibitions next Sunday. But for the rest of our remaining time this morning, I want to give us two important applications from today's lesson. The first application is that we must test ourselves about the gospel. We must test ourselves about the gospel because different gospel is not uncommon. And so you and I need to test ourselves if we truly embrace the doctrine of justification by faith alone. Now, since justification by faith is a fundamental doctrine, uh, let us be clear about what it teaches. To be justified means to be declared righteous. And so justification by faith means that we sinners who are unrighteous are declared righteous by God not because of our obedience to the law, not because of some good works that we have done, 
No. We are declared righteous by God because of our faith in Jesus, who on the cross paid the penalty for our sins and imputed and credited his righteousness to us. We cannot earn this righteousness of Jesus. It is a gift to us through faith. And that is what we mean when we talk about justification by faith. It means we cannot save ourselves through our own works. We need to put our trust in Jesus. And it is easy to to agree mentally to this doctrine. I may preach the justification of faith with great passion. And you may listen and agree to it in your head. But you and I may not truly believe it in our heart. You and I cannot be sure, or rather, we may not truly believe the justification by faith in our heart that we cannot contribute to our salvation. That is why we need this diagnostic test. This test to show whether we really believe in justification by faith. Because there is always a threat to the gospel from within. From within our heart to save ourselves, to justify ourselves. We secretly, knowingly or unknowingly may wish to justify ourselves before God through our good works, through our achievements, through our obedience to the law. Now Paul had asked the Galatians, you foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? While we don't need the Judaizers of today to bewitch us, because we often bewitch ourselves, because deep inside us, we may still think and wrongly think that we can earn God's favour with our own righteousness. So we want to run a diagnostic test to get rid of the different gospel in our heart. And this test has been used in some courses on evangelism. So this test involves asking yourself this question. If you were to die tonight and God asked you, why should I let you into heaven? What would your answer be? Now, if your answer is because I am a good person, I go to church, I read the Bible. I serve in a church committee. I give to missionaries. And I pay my taxes. If this is your answer, you will not be allowed, you will not be allowed into heaven. You are not saved. You have not understood the gospel. You have not believed in justification by faith. You have wrongly thought that faith in Jesus is not enough for you. So that's why you want to add works of church attendance, of reading the Bible, of serving in a church, and of giving to missionaries. 
Now, don't get me wrong. These works are good for Christians to do. But in themselves, they cannot save us. What saves us is our faith in Jesus. When we put our trust in Jesus, we stand not on our own righteousness because our righteousness is like filthy rags. But we stand on the righteousness of Christ. And God will look at Christ's righteousness in us. And he will welcome us into his presence forever. So go ahead and please give yourself this test. Now the second application is this. If we truly believe in the justification by faith, then we will together develop a lifestyle and develop a church culture that is consistent with the doctrine. And since the doctrine of justification by faith speaks of God's grace, God's free grace to us, our lifestyle and our church culture should reflect the gospel of grace. And we have to intentionally cultivate this culture of grace because we are naturally selfish people. You see, selfish people often want to be self-sufficient. And when you're self-sufficient, you often don't want help from others. And you also don't want to help others. And so if a church is full of self-sufficient people, it will be a proud church with no room for grace. And this will be bad for all of us, and it will be bad for our Christian witness. On the other hand, if we allow the gospel to transform us into, the, into people of grace, we will learn to be kind, and bearing each other's burden will become our joy. We will learn to confess our sins and our failures to one another. And we will forgive one another and accept one another as sinners saved by grace. And when we are shaped by the gospel of grace, we will also be generous. We will be generous with our money, giving support to needy people and support to the gospel work. And we will be generous with our time, visiting and encouraging people wherever they are. And we will be generous with our skills, helping people complete their unfinished task. And so there are many ways, many ways we can share our generosity. And as Andrew has explained to us from the book of Ruth, when we are generous, we point others to our generous God. Our generous God who is rich in mercy. And when outsiders see that we are generous, they will be attracted to our generous God. And I pray that TGCC will continue to develop a powerful gospel culture as you and I learn to be gracious and learn to be generous. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, you are a God who is rich in mercy. 
We thank you that it is by grace that you have saved us and help us never to add any law to your gospel of grace. Fill us with your spirit that we may bear the fruit of the spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And may our lives be filled with grace and generosity so that believers and unbelievers alike will give glory to God the Father and the Son. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.